step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to episode 128 of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana, where I talk about, read about, write about, think about, dream about, amongst other things, video games, video games, video games. And I am joined tonight by two of our brilliant staffers, <laughs> uh, Ashley Velasquez and Bianca Batty. Hello. Good evening, ladies. Hi. Good evening. You want to tell us a bit about yourselves? Ashley, go. All right. So I am Ashley Velasquez, and I'm a second-year PhD student in second language studies. And, yeah, I like video games, and I like culture, and I like feminism, and I like all these things that we talk about. So many things. I know, all the things. I basically like all the things. Yeah. Plus cats. (laughs) Plus cats, yes. Big furry orange cats who sneeze. Yeah. (laughs) All over the place. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll go. Uh, I am Bianca Batty, also a second year PhD student at Purdue. Yeah, um, and I uh, am in literary studies, and I like to look at video games as a form of contemporary narrative, um, and especially analyzing them from a feminist perspective. I also like cats, so there's that link up there. No, hairless. Hairless. I love me a hairless cat. I really want one. I feel like I would look like such a great like Bond villain. (laughs) (laughs) I got a cat for you. You can shave it. Awesome. No, naturally, uh, hairless cat. Not your human. Damn it, I keep trying to give this cat away and nobody takes it. No. I went to the cat shelter today. You did? I did. Oh, wow. I did. I didn't bring one home, but I did. (laughs) That's really. I have a cat for you. I don't want that, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not today. <laughs> oh well. All right. Well, let's Sam. Do... Oh, so t- okay. First, tell us about the cat shelter. Did you find one that you were interested in, though? Um. Well, there's a couple, but nothing really. I really want an older cat, but I think Pippin would have a fit. Mm. 
so I need to get a younger one. But there are so many like senior kitties that I want to take home. I love senior kitties. I know, and they're like they need homes. But I have a friend whose grandmother adopted a cat that she didn't know was pregnant and had kittens. So wow, um, I'll probably end up with one of those. Well, see, I have a cat who's a year old. I don't want that, Satan. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. That's a really good age. No, mm. no, no, not today, not today. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> well, I'll tell you who Samantha Blackman is. <laughs> she apparently is trying to sell me a cat. Mm-hmm. She's a cat peddler. I'm a, a cat, cat peddler. <laughs> I'm not trying to sell it. I'm giving it away for free. In fact, I might pay you to take it. Anytime you try to give away something for free, my nose goes up. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine, fine. So, let's go ahead and jump in and do some fun stuff. The usual what you're playing, what you're reading, and what you're drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll jump in and say, we'll let Bianca go first. Bianca, what you playing, darling? Oh, well, I am in, uh, you know, I'm working on my exams. So I've been revisiting a lot of games, thinking specifically about a lot of my research, sort of the way I'm oriented in my research. So I've been playing a lot of Last of Us. Mm -hmm. I went back to uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Um, We uh, just got back from a conference. We played some Her Story for that. I also ruled at Joust at the conference. Yeah, I heard the, I heard about that. Oh yeah, kicked some major butt. Um, my my whole like method there was just approaching people and trying to tickle them. So that really <laughs> tickle the, the tickle method. The tickle method is Who key. Who tickling? I don't know. Some dude. <laughs> oh, don't tickle was, me. I was tickling strangers. <laughs> like, like some dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as um, you do, as you yeah. do. Yeah, you know. Um, so, I've uh, been doing a lot of that. I played, uh, I started Until Dawn again with uh, a couple of my friends came to town and they're big horror movie buffs. So, it was really fun to play that with them because they're not necessarily well-versed in video games. Mm-hmm. But that game is actually, like, I just end up, as problematic as that game is, I end up loving it more and more because of, like, the way that you can play it with different types of people mm-hmm. um, and in different settings. And so, you know, it was so much fun. We ended up staying till up until, like, 4 a.m. every night morning I guess and uh, just playing that and laughing hysterically so um, yeah I mean that's a really fun game to play with a lot of different people so I love that game <laughs> just so weird because I started off hating it although you know they used the, they t- they used the word buns over and over in that game which I'm now realizing after my third play and I feel like I should have seen it way earlier so you know Talking about people's buns all the time, which which follows with a game like that, I guess. But um, buns is such a weird word to use. Right? Yeah. Buns, it's like over and over again. They're saying, you know, they're cursing all over the place, but then they're like, I'm going to come get your buns. And it's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just start saying buns. Yeah. Yes, please. Same. Biana uh, buns batter. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. But buns is going to be with a Z. Yeah, I, I would expect no less, yes. I might even do a double N. 
Yeah, please. I, yeah, that's exactly how it should be spelled. Thank you. You're welcome. Jeez. So that's, that's what I've been playing. <laughs> what so. about you, Ashley? What you playing, darling? Well, I started playing Fruit Ninja. Apparently, I'm late to the game, but yeah. Yeah, um, you did start playing. I might be addicted to it. I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. Um, I'm also playing Destiny, of course. That's my go-to. Uh, the War of Mine, and always, always, as always, State of Decay. Yep. How are you addicted to Fruit Ninja? Uh, because I am a type A personality who's also competitive, and Alicia decided yep. to go ahead and play and put this ridiculously high um, best score on my game. Mm. But, no, I beat her. Oh, you did? Congratulations. Thank you. I did it the other night. Um, but now I want to beat myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. There's a whole thing going on there. <laughs> I'm, a self, I'm self-competitive. What yeah, you are. My favorite was that she was she started playing this while we were at the conference, and Ashley and I um, shared a bed <laughs> at the place we were staying. And so she was, like, staying up playing it. And I'm trying to go to sleep, but, like, the bed is shaking because she's, <laughs> just, like, moving her arms so quickly. <laughs> Well, because you have to do it. It's like I don't. I think it's a pomegranate at the end, and it's yeah, like you gotta move. You get so many slices and like a short amount of time, and so I'm just like, Aah. yeah. You know you're supposed to stand up when you're playing that game. Are you? Yeah. Let me, let me see. Gotta, gotta get that power stance going. Wait, wait. Let me get my iPad and start. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, you playing on the iPad? I thought you were playing on like the Xbox. There's an Xbox version. Yeah. Oh, oh boy, Ricky! Ricky, can you get uh, Fruit Ninja on the Xbox? <laughs> Put him to work. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna be playing Fruit Ninja later on the Xbox. Beautiful. I hope you're gonna stream that. Oh, I will. Totally yeah, because I was I was wondering how you guys were playing Fruit Ninja. She was playing it on her iPad. Yeah. Uh-huh. That would do it. Mm-hmm. Is it free on the Xbox too? Um, I don't think so, but it's probably pretty cheap. Yeah. I think there's there's two versions. There's Fruit Ninja One and Fruit Ninja Two on mm. the Xbox. Obviously, I went Fruit Ninja Two. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. It's like I don't know what you were thinking, but of course <laughs> I want. Yeah. I, I, okay. Yeah, you need to know that. Yes, I do. I also yes. am still waiting to play Overwatch, but oh, really? Yeah, I haven't started. I did the beta, mm-hmm. but you know, I need to get the game now. Mm-hmm. I've been playing Overwatch. Oh, how do you feel about that? I'm a little addicted. Oh, Are boy. you? Mm-hmm. Wait, so should I get Overwatch? Can we play together? We play in teams. Is it like Destiny? Um, it's like, it's more like Team Fortress 2. Okay. It's a squad-based shooter. It's like a six-on-six. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have, you have, uh, four classes of heroes. You have damage, you have support, you have tank, and you have healer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you, you form teams of six, Right with with other folks and you have to have a fairly well 
so uh, most people say, you know, you need a fairly well distributed team of six in terms of having different folks. But it's funny to watch people online as they're doing stuff with like uh, forming teams of like six support heroes or uh, six damage heroes or six tanks just to see what happens. Um, and then just like they'll form a team, like somebody the other night, uh, was on Twitter talking about that, the fact that they had formed a team of six tanks and they just ran shit for like hours, um, which was pretty, which pretty amusing. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good game. I really like it. It is not the game that I usually like, um, because there's no story. I mean, there's there's yeah. lore, there's backstory, but it doesn't exist within the game. Mm. Um, so really, they just put you in there and you blow shit up and you shoot people or oh. you heal people or you. That kind of game. Yeah, I mean, it... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that exactly. Um, so I've been having a whole lot of fun, and like the, the the heroes are really interesting about it. I wrote I wrote my first post about the heroes this week, one of the mm-hmm. heroes this week, yeah, because yeah. the heroes have these really interesting backstories, mm. um, and they've they've given the heroes a lot of depth in the backstory, and I'm not quite sure how I feel about it yet because either they really tried to give the heroes depth, or they gave the heroes depth in an attempt to make you ignore or forget um, that they are still relying heavily on stereotypes. Hmm. Hmm. So we shall see. Yeah. Well, um, payday's next week. Huh? <laughs> payday. payday. Next week. <laughs> so, but it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, uh, like I said, I, I wrote about the first. I wrote about the first character, and I'm really interested in some of the other ones. Like my main that I'm playing is Farah, um, who's an ex um, Egyptian military um, person. Huh. Um, yeah, and her mother was her mother uh, was like an Egyptian, uh, like a general in the Egyptian military. Um, so there is this 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 matrilineage. Um, that oh. of kind of military personnel going on in her story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not, like I said, I'm I'm torn. I'm, mm. I'm still still mm-hmm. weighing, thinking. Yeah, because I, like I said, the game just came out, and I'm not quite sure I buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I just yeah. <laughs> I, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna. I I have to get. I've played a lot of the um of the different heroes. Uh, but I'm going to go through and spend some dedicated time playing each one mm-hmm. so that I can see if this is just a feel that I get for, you know, one hero whose story wasn't connected as well as it should have been, mm-hmm. or if all of the heroes that way are that way. So I could just call bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've been playing a lot of big games. Uh, last couple of weeks, um, I play been playing more Quantum Break, mm-hmm. um, which is you know the movie uh, disguised as a game. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, <So> like, here, <laughs> play this chapter of the game. Now sit back and watch an hour of TV. And <laughs> no, no, I don't like TV, so that's hard for me. Um, <laughs> so I've been I playing a little bit like of that. that. 
not mm-hmm. as much as I wanted to. If I if I didn't if it wasn't so TV heavy, mm-hmm. I probably would play more. Um, because I think I like the story. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm pretty sure I like the story because it's. Uh, I do like the story because it. it <laughs> I know I'm 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 going through, um, because it calls to question what's real and what's not, mm. um, and and because they they say time is ending, right? That's the whole premise mm-hmm. of the game. But nobody knows what the fuck time is ending means. Mm. So you've got two people, two sets of people, kind of the revolutionaries and um, the corporate folks that are both going at time ending from different angles mm-hmm. um, and trying to uh, and trying to come to a solution. So you really don't know um, who to believe and who to kind of back. Because mm-hmm. you have to make all these choices. And oh. then they make you play as both revolutionaries and corporate people. Oh, okay. Um, and then you have to make these, there are these, these uh, decision point moments. So they're like, okay, now make a decision. And so they'll give you two choices. Do you, you know, do you kill this person who's the revolutionary? Or do you try to bring them on board and make them a spokesperson? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Shouldn't have told that much spoilers. It's um, okay. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, is that then they show you what happens when you make one choice and they say, do you really want to make that choice? And you can say no and go with the other one and then it'll show you what happens if you make that choice and they'll say, do you really want to make that choice? So it's kind of like, um, life is strange in that you can rewind. Um, But the thing about making those choices is it's no clearer even after you see what's going to happen based on those choices, mm-hmm. whether it's a good choice or a bad choice. Interesting. So I kind of got to make it to the end because right. I don't want anybody to tell me mm-hmm. what what time's ending means and who was right and who was wrong. I kind of want to figure that out for myself. Um, so I'm forcing myself to play through that and it's killing me softly. That is um, some timey-wimey yeah. stuff going on there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and then fun. the game I said I wasn't gonna play, I'm playing. What is that? Uncharted. I, uh, I I did not make a philosophical stance and say I'm never gonna buy that game. But I was like, yeah, I never play those games. I uh, get all of them, uh, mm-hmm. but I never really play them all the way through. Mm-hmm. But this one is really good, and yeah. I was really surprised. It's Uncharted Four. Yeah, yeah. Alex has been playing that one, and actually, he just finished it, and I was watching him, and I. I'm so proud of my husband because he'll like play it and then be like, so what do you think of, uh, you know, the way that like motherhood is represented in the game? Like yeah. this, And I'm just like, oh, you pay attention to my research. I love you so much. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting to like watch him play that and then like think about these different themes while he's playing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy looking game. There is, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's a lot of problematic shit in it. Oh, yes. <laughs> a ton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's interesting because I'm teaching a, a women in games class right. this um, this summer. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I'm loving this class. It is going so phenomenally. Awesome. Um, interestingly enough, because I, I have uh, f- 15 people in the class. That's great. Um, 13 women. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Yep. 
Go figure. It's called Women in Games. I get 13 Sh- women who sign up shocking. for it. Shocking. Shocking. Um, across, across grad and undergrad, across disciplines, right. um, from, you know, CGT and engineering, mm-hmm. all the way down to English and the humanities. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty fucking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I mean, we started out talking about, talking about, um, women in games in terms of looking at, um, women in STEM, mm-hmm. uh, in education from, mm-hmm. uh, elementary and middle school mm. through the university and then looking at women in the industry. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's been the first two weeks. Right. And mm-hmm. it's just been fucking phenomenal. Awesome. Yay. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we were playing, uh, we were playing, um, Uncharted four. Okay. Um, and it, so, you know, you, cause you, you were playing, you were watching Alex play it. So yeah. a lot, when the game starts, um, there is no spoilers, right? Nathan right. Drake's in a Panamanian prison. Right. But, um, so lots of the dialogue takes place solely in Spanish. Right. Right. And they don't translate it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I had already played through all of this and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm just playing. I'm just punching the shit out of people because that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, Nathan Drake, he's a man's man. You know, if he ain't shooting brown people, he punching the shit out of them. Right. Um, or like destroying their culture and like archaeology, <laughs> right? Like just like destroying everything. Yes. Like Laura Croft does, just destroying everything. As That's our archaeology. As you do. Yep. Um so but it was really interesting to play through it in class where um we have native Spanish speakers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Who translated on the fly and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Look at everything we missed playing through this game the first time, not knowing what the fuck they were saying. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing how when you play a game in a classroom, it can really open things up like that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there with like kinship ties and marriage. Some really problematic things Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and dudes and feels. <laughs> and their beards. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. <laughs> um. <laughs> but it's fun to talk about this stuff, you know? It is. Away, for sure. Yep. I'm really interested looking at that game in relation to um to the rise of the Tomb Raider too. Cause there's a lot of I think um, those those family sort of um, structures mm-hmm. and the way that they're manifested in those games um, differently but also similarly um, I think have a lot of implications mm-hmm. so yep yeah. it's good it's yeah good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah that's about what I'm playing cool fun stuff yeah so that's all of us the way we're playing um mm-hmm. Am I reading anything interesting? I've been doing a lot of reading. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you have. Anything um, particularly interesting? I just finished um, Diamond Age, that oh, uh, yeah. Neil Stevenson book. That yeah. 
there's a lot to think about in that book. I'm first of all, thank you for recommending that one <laughs> for me because there's so much there to unpack with like daughterhood and motherhood uh-huh. and fatherhood yep. and the way that those those different kind of relationships are manifested in those games and through the technology systems. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's going to play a big part in a lot of my research coming up, I think, in a lot of my writing. I too. love that book. It's really, yeah, there's a lot going on in that book. And the way that it makes use of like meta narrative too, and like also like the story within the story, so much happening there. Um, and uh, I think it's a really great bridge too for me, like in the way, because I've been also reading a lot of like cyberpunk stuff, like I just read, uh, reread Neuromancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also been reading some weird science fiction, like I read Ubik by Philip K. Dick. Again, reread that one. So, um, and I've been also rereading some feminist science fiction. Just uh, I'm reading right now uh, The Female Man by Joanna Russ. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like fitting into a lot of those, fitting in with a lot of those texts really nicely. And I think it's a really great bridge between those texts and a lot of the like game stuff that I'm, I'm working on too. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of the nice thing about all this stuff that I'm reading for my exams coming up is that it's actually a lot of it is really fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Thank goodness. I actually like my research. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty much what I've been reading. Lots of stuff. Cool. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not really reading. No? What'd you say? I said, I'm not really, I mean, I'm reading some stuff, but not like nothing leisure. Uh-huh. It's all prelim oriented and hardly as interesting as Bianca's. <laughs> <laughs> Just differently interesting. Just differently yeah. interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, since I'm teaching, um, I'm reading stuff for re or rereading stuff for classes I'm teaching. Um, like I am rereading Brenda Laurel's uh, Utopian Entrepreneur. Um, where she talks about being a woman working in the games industry and what that involves. Um, it's a really little, short little book, but it's kind of really packed and, and, and interesting in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also rereading um, a collection that came out in 2010, Okay, I think was when it came out was uh beyond uh, barbie and mortal Kombat. right yeah yeah i'm reading that one mm-hmm. i'll rereading it for like the 479th time <laughs> um uh I, I love that one because it's got such interesting stuff and it gives a good um overview of uh women in the games industry mm-hmm. from early to to 2010 because they they actually had redone redone it in 2010 mm-hmm. mm. um because it had it was originally released well the first the first version of the book was um from barbie to mortal Kombat. And i think that came out in 2004 i want to say maybe okay um so they re they redid it 
and rehashed it and put in new articles that talked about where the industry had gone in that time period. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it bumps right up against that time period in terms of, in terms of timeliness. Yeah. Um, So those are things. And then for fun, uh, but because like I'm teaching five, uh, you know, the the main master meets five days a week. And so I'm reading lots of papers and reading lots of stuff for class. Um, uh, My brain goes, you're not reading anything else. Um, So I'm not reading, reading right now, but you know, I'm, I'm listening to um, Midnight Riot. Um, And that was a book that um, Andre Brock suggested when he was on the show a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. um, by Ben Aronowich. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Peter Grant series. Uh, it's the first book in the series. Okay. So it's about Peter Grant, who is um, a black dude who's a detective on the London Metropolitan Police. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's mystery slash sci-fi slash fantasy. Ooh, yeah, um, and it's really fucking fucking fascinating. So, wow. and I've learned something about myself that I cannot. <laughs> and when I first said this, and I said it to Alicia, she looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, I can't. I've learned that I cannot listen to books read by black men with British accents in bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's great and she looked at me and I was like good grief it puts me right to sleep (laughs) not what I was thinking it wasn't what she was thinking either I know she's my sister wife (laughs) his voice is so melodic mm-hmm. that it just kind of lulls me right to sleep. Mm. Um, thank you, people from the gutter. Um, so, <laughs> but the book is at the like I said, I've been listening to it. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm gonna have to find something else to listen to in bed so that I can actually stay awake long enough to listen to it. Because um, you know, sometimes I like play like a handheld game while I'm like laying in bed just to wind down before I can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, if I'm playing something like I've been playing a lot of Terraria. Oh, that's another thing. I've been playing a lot of Terraria on my Vita, believe it or not. I don't know why. Um, but I can play that while I'm listening to, um, a book. So listening to Midnight Riot. So anyway, that's it. That's what I've been reading slash listening to. So good stuff. What are we drinking? That's a good stuff. Oh, me and Water. my classiness, my, my classy drinking situation over here. Yeah, what's your classy drinking situation over there? My super, super classy <laughs> canned <laughs> rosé. That's <laughs> 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 just the epitome of class over here. Old Bianca Buns Baddie with her classy <laughs> canned rosé. It's You know what? Now that it's sort of opened up a little bit, it's not that bad. <laughs> not as bad as I was expecting. Like, I don't think I'm going to get indigestion now. Now I'm not really afraid about that. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep up with the class. Mm. <laughs> yeah, having a classy summer. Lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm drinking. I don't even know where this wine came from. I suppose I must have bought it at some point. <laughs> Probably because it, it's cheap. <laughs> it's oh, real cheap. So you're classing it up over there too. <laughs> well, it was the only thing cold. I mean, and and I think that this is probably see when when we have like like holiday dinners and like 10, 15 grad students come over and yeah. I buy like 10 bottles of wine. Right. I get like the, I get like the, the, you know, the local organic market. I get like their store brand and I just buy like 10 different bottles and then, then I'll buy some good stuff too. Mm-hmm. But we drink, we go through so much of the sure. like, cheap stuff, especially when we're cooking. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason there was, there was, we didn't finish all of it last time. Mm-hmm. So, it, but it was the only wine in the refrigerator that was cold and there was no cider or beer in the refrigerator cold. Mm. And I'm like, I need something cold and I don't have time. <laughs> desperate so I, times. Desperate times. <laughs> so I stuck some beer in the fridge and I just grabbed this bottle of, and then I just noticed as, as I was drinking it, it was, I thought it was a Pinot Grigio, mm-hmm. but it's a, uh, it's a mix of a Pinot Columbard. Huh. Um, which um, it's in it gets described. It's an American wine, but it gets yeah. described as light bodied and crisp. Um, mm-hmm. so it's it's drier than a um, than a Pinot, and it's it's actually not bad. You can taste like sour apple and and juiciness of peaches. Huh. Um, but it's like I said, it's super super fucking cheap. <laughs> um. But it's also super light, and I was like, it ha- and it clearly has no alcohol in it because I was looking. I was like, what? What is the percentage of alcohol? It is eleven point five percent, and this yeah. bottle is almost gone. So <laughs> I was really, I was really hoping that I had gotten like non-alcoholic wine or something because I might not be able to get up in the morning. <laughs> well, that See, works. you need to be like me and drink water. That's what I'm drinking tonight. Well, Good I was drinking it like water. If that counts. <laughs> Ashley over there, queen of hydration. Hydrate, man. I've had like uh, maybe 130 ounces of water today. God bless you. Mm -hmm. Holler. I've had 750 milliliters of wine. (laughs) I think that is where we do an intervention. (laughs) Sam, I don't know if you know this now, but... Came together on this podcast <laughs> to oh, talk boy. about your 157 ounces of wine. I'm a I little said milliliters, not ounces. <laughs> 750 milliliters is not 750 ounces because what is that going to be? But how many milliliters total have you had? It's like it's like a glass for Italian people. So I'm totally behind it. <laughs> That's go. like normal. <laughs> Biana Buns Bata. That's my name, oh, apparently. Bianca said, I don't need an intervention. Thank you very much. She's just, she's channeling her inner Italian right now. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't do the, I don't know how to do an Italian. Do it, Bianca. Do it. Oh, God. I, I gotta get more wine in me. We. I, I, I have been watching The Sopranos, though, and like, it's been making me feel real Italian. Like suddenly I'll start talking really like, oh, we got to make us some meatballs. 
but also I really want to make meatballs now because it just the show mostly just makes me really hungry. Because <laughs> they eat a lot. Yeah. They eat so much. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I just want to eat so much Italian food right now. Oh, see, I'm doing it. <laughs> keep doing it. Keep doing it. <laughs> My like old Italian grandmother voice. <laughs> yeah. you know yep. All right. So, um, we've got to get into what people really come to this podcast for. Yes. Um, which is our, um, our interview for this evening. Mm-hmm. Um, so what follows of course is an interview with Amy Fredin, um, who is, who was, uh, the reason, one of the mo- reasons we were most interesting interested in her she's the lead cultural ambassador um for the game never alone um she is also the executive vice president cfo of cook inlet uh tribal council and now the cfo for eli media who's the the company that actually uh developed um never alone um you'll hear all of that again in just a few moments mm-hmm. um but we recorded the interview separate um, from our usual introduction slash camaraderie slash debauchery. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, and we have to, I have to say that yeah. it's definitely something you want to listen to in its entirety. Wow, um, wow, wow. Because mm-hmm. it is soul rocking. So good. Um, tears were shed. Tears were, tears were shed. By me, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, tears were shed by yep. multiple people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so please take your time. Listen to the listen to the interview. Listen to what she has to say and receive it with an open heart. Yeah. And if you haven't played the game, go play it. It's so good. Oh. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Buy copies for all your friends. Yes, everybody. All the things. Yes. And with that, we will turn you over to the interview mm-hmm. with Amy Fredine. So tonight we are joined by Amy Fredine, um, who is the executive vice president and CFO of the Cook Inlet Tribal Council, as well as the CFO of E-Line Media. And she served as the cultural ambassador on one of our favorite games, Never Alone. Um, She wears many hats, apparently. (laughs) Um, Welcome, and thanks for joining us tonight, Amy. Well, I'm excited to be able to be here. So we're really excited um, to uh, talk to you about your work as cultural ambassador um, on Never Alone because Never Alone um, is a is a game uh, that has struck us all um, in some in some very important ways uh, because of the storytelling that happens as well as the kind of story um, that gets told. So we have a bunch of questions, um, but as you, as we usually do, we, we want to more have a conversation. So if any, at any point you just want to say, Hey, well, let's talk about this. Please feel free to do so. Um, so I'm going to start, uh, can you tell us exactly what your role as cultural ambassador 
for a project like Never Alone entailed? Yeah. Well, you know, being a cultural ambassador for a game like Never Alone is a very unique experience. Um, I never thought I would, as a CFO and CPA by trade, be making video games, but it was something that was really important for me because I play video games with my teenage boys and my husband, and I wanted to have them see something of themselves on the screen. And so my role as a lead cultural ambassador was really to bring the right people to the table. Um, when CIDC settled on the idea of basing the story on traditional Inupiaq stories, I was all at once really excited but really scared because this is my people, this is my history. And what I knew was that even though I carry the wisdom of all the generations before me in me, I can't possibly portray all the perspectives of that wisdom. And so my role was to bring in the over 20 um, individuals who served as cultural ambassadors and liaisons on the project. So here's a, and this is something that I've wondered about is how did Elon approach the council about this project? Yeah. You know, it was completely the other way around. Oh. Um, an amazing Genesis story. So could that tribal council is a nonprofit tribal organization who provides uh, services in the areas of employment and training, education, substance abuse, and child welfare. Mm -hmm. Um, and since we were formed over 30 years ago, we've been doing social enterprises. Um, and we felt feel that if we are asking our people to be self-sufficient when they come through our doors and connect to opportunities, that as an organization, we also have to grow some financial independence. Um, you know, as a nonprofit, we're heavily reliant on the federal government about uh, 10 years ago, our funding was about 90 to 95% federal funding, mm -hmm. which means we operated like an arm of the federal government. We were tied by what they thought were good services, um, mm -hmm. which didn't necessarily translate to Alaska. Um, I think one of my favorite stories was when I first came into CIHC 15 years ago, one of my first tasks was to convince a federal agency that having... Alaska Native youth in rural Alaska mow lawns as a way to demonstrate they're responsible was a little nutty. Um, because <laughs> if you've ever been out to rural Alaska, there's no lawns. <laughs> we don't want them out there mowing our tundra. Um, so these were the kind of really what seems reasonable in another context, but really outlandish uh, for our people. Um, this is what we wanted to change. And in order to do that, we had to diversify our funding stream. So we, we grew our social enterprises. Um, you know, back in 1997, I think our social enterprise revenue was less than $600,000. Today, it's over $9 million annually. Um, wow. But, it, you know, we were in businesses that necessarily didn't have a large margin, and they weren't connecting with our youth. Yes. And we know that our board of directors had the vision to prioritize connecting to our youth and getting them engaged not only in our services but in our traditional uh, culture and values. So we were sitting around the lunch table one day going, how the heck are we going to make money, lots of it, in an area that connects with youth? And my boss, Gloria O'Neill, who's the president and CEO of Cook and the Tribal Council, said, 
why not video games? Mm. And as a CFO, in my head, I was thinking all sorts of reasons why not video games. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, that's really cool because I know my kids play it, but I'm like, oh, they're risky and they're going to be time consuming. Yeah. So, but it was something we knew we had to do because oftentimes, um, especially our youth that have lived in the more urban areas of Alaska, they have lost that connection back to their tribe and their village. And they it's intimidating. So the Nupiak language, like even the words Kisimagnikchuna, it's a little hard to pronounce. And that's, you know, that's all of our words are long and complex. So it's intimidating to engage with some of our cultural activities. And we really felt that video games would be a really good medium to invite them back in hook them with our traditional stories and our values, but put, do it in a way where they're already connecting to something so that we're meeting them where they're at. They're out on their iPhones or on video games. You know, they spend, just like every other American youth, eight hours a day connected to some form of technology. Mm-hmm. So we searched uh, for uh, someone who could help us because we obviously knew nothing about Eline Media and Eline Media just kept popping up. Um, and we actually saw a talk on uh, YouTube that Alan Gershenfield, who's one of the uh, co founders of Eline, did on Games for Change. And we knew that was a company we could work with. Um, so we invited them up to Alaska in the middle of January. There was actually a blizzard in Anchorage at <laughs> that time. And we thought if they agreed to come, that they might take us seriously. But and they they did. They came up, but the first thing they did is they saw, you know, all the services we provide to our people, and we serve about twelve thousand individuals annually. And they're like, tried to talk us out of it. They spent the first day saying, "Why would you want to do this? This is so risky," and they automatically gained my trust through that. Um, and once they heard about the rich storytelling tradition of all Alaska Native people, they knew there was something there that they could bring into games and really share and celebrate their games. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That That is like the best yeah. story, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and so I, I've got like a million questions. Yeah. Um, but one of the questions uh, that I have, it bounces off of something that you said, like you said, video games and making games is a really risky and time consuming process, mm-hmm. right? We talk to, we talk to game developers all the time about that, just that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. How long was this process for you, for you from say decision to, uh, to partner with Eline, um, to release of game? You know, I think it probably, once we identified Eline media and brought them up in January, um, it probably took us six months in total to really get to a place where we felt comfortable. I mean, as in many indigenous communities, there is a history of you know people coming in to contract with indigenous communities and they come in with yeah. all the expertise and they're like, we're going to do this for you and it's going to be great. And the project ends up being great, but they leave with that expertise and they don't stay for the long term. Mm. Before we committed to a partnership with Eline Media, we wanted to, number one, make sure their values aligned with our traditional values, that their vision around video games aligned with ours, and just as equally important, that they shared the risk and return on this video game. And 
once we came to that agreement in contractual form, we were able to move forward. But it was a really long process. I would say from, you know, lunch table to launch, it was over a two-year process for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that's because it wasn't just a video game. It was a video game done in partnership with a whole community. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, the interstitials that that are in the game, where you know, when once you come across, once you come across uh, a weapon or an artifact or a spirit or um in the game, and then the way that you come out of the game, mm-hmm. and and you get videos from um from from tribe members, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Right? and we were actually that's one of the aspects of the game we were most nervous about. We know from a community perspective that it was the right thing to do, yeah. but we were worried how it was going to be received um, by the players because we, number one, we didn't want to make it feel like we were interrupting their game. The gameplay can be so engaging, especially when you're playing with two people. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we also didn't want it to seem overly educational, but it was honestly, and we had lots of debate around whether or not we should keep them in or take them out. But those discussions, I think, really resulted in some of the richest discussions and richest parts of the games that we could have never imagined had we just not even went down that risky road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I played the game originally, the well, the second time I played through it. I played through it the first time by myself. Um, the second <laughs> time I played through it with with my daughter. Um, and as the, the, the moments came up when the, when the videos unlocked and I said, oh, wow. So this video just unlocked, we're going to pop over and look at it. And she kind of looked at me like, why? Cause we're playing this game. Um, <laughs> but after she saw the first one, she was so taken in by it that there was, there were actual people and yeah. actual stories mm. behind what she was playing that as we played, she was like, is there another video yet? Is there another video yet? Um, I mean, that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was brilliant. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm gonna... um, speaking of those, like, who, whose idea was it to put the interstitials in there? You know, the, honestly, sorry. Mm-hmm. It, Honestly, it was the video game design team in Seattle. And so, you know, part of the the relationship and the inclusive development process we agreed on as part of, um, you know, the making of the video game is we made the video game team come up to Alaska well over a dozen times. And so part of that was to be exposed to, like, you know, how traditional instruments were used, uh, introduce them to the storytellers and to the artists and the youth, let them test it with the um, the youth and talk to the elders. Well, as part of that, they always hold, you know, a camera with them and were taking videos and after, and they would go back and they would use it as their touchstone when they got back home as they're working on some of the meteor parts of the game. And once they realized that it was such an important inspiration point for them, they really saw the potential of seeing it as part of the game. And I have to give them credit because they did such a wonderful job working with um, our Inupiaq writer that we had placed within their team that really it was 
um, them with Ishmael Hope, who's our Inupiaq writer, who really pushed for this idea, which I really think helped invite people more into finding out more about the Inupiaq people. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how was how was this particular story chosen? Because uh, the story is, is extremely engaging. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's perfect for a video game. Um, how was this, this particular story chosen? One, um, and then I'm going to bounce and ask a second question that kind of uh, piggybacks off of that. In, in this traditional story, um, mm -hmm. is the, the protagonist, um, is it a female child or is that something that was adapted for the game? Then I'll give you a heads up that it was definitely adapted. But I think oh. this is one of the most amazing things about this process is that, you know, we started off with saying, here are a bunch of gifts from the history of our people. And we literally sent down a giant box of uh, stories that had been transcribed. And they range, you know, from transcriptions that were as old as the 50s to as recent as the, you know, you know, 2000s. And wow. um, we sent the box and we had representation from all areas of Alaska. Mm -hmm. um, and they, the team just devoured those books. They read them and our stories are a little odd, you know, <laughs> they are really obtuse. Um, you know, a story can be as short as there once was a man who lived in a village and one day he went out on a boat by himself and he stayed there. And that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's one of the things about storytelling in Alaska Native culture is that it didn't wasn't necessarily always the exact same words, and it wasn't always the exact message, even if the words were similar, yeah. is that our stories were in the oral tradition because we didn't have a written language before Western contact. And so the storyteller would take that theme or that underlying, you know, storyline and weave into, into it the lessons they wanted the listeners to connect to. So there might be someone in the village that they're telling after the dances the story for, and they're like, this person's struggling. I'm going to give them this message. And literally, that person may not hear it, but like that story about in the boat, I heard it when, from my aunt when I was younger. And, you know, it hit me 10 years later. I'm like, holy crap, that's what she was trying to make me see in <laughs> <laughs> I was complaining about something and she's like, well, here's something you need to hear. And I didn't connect to it then, but that's the thing is that each storyteller tells it different. And so the story of never alone is based on the story called Kunuk Sayuka and um, it provides the spine of the gameplay. So it really is that story about some the protagonist setting out to figure out the source of an endless blizzard mm -hmm. and the beginning and end, you know, are very, very much reflective of that story. But that story really takes about at the most seven to 10 minutes to tell <laughs> it's a short story. And so um, we had a lot of thinking to do. And the first thinking point we had was how do we get the appropriate permission to utilize this story, Kanuk Sayuka? Um, so we knew that the storyteller Robert Nazrup Cleveland uh, was associated with the transcribing and the storyteller who spoke as it was being transcribed. So really, he was the holder of that story, but he had passed away years ago. 
And so we knew we had to find his eldest surviving child. Um, and her name is Minnie Gray, and she is an elder, you know, in her 80s now and a cultural treasure and a really great storyteller herself. Um, so we had to find her. And it wasn't easy. I mean, we knew she was born in Ambler, so we looked in Ambler, you know, called around, see who could find her. She wasn't living there. We knew she had lived with her daughter in Fairbanks at one point. So we looked around there, couldn't find her. Literally, you know, a couple months after we started looking for Minnie Gray, it turned out she was a block and a half down from my office living with her other daughter. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. And it was such a blessing, though. I mean, it, it was neat because I got to go down and have tea, and she would share her dry fish with me. And, you know, I went in going, oh, my gosh, she's in her 80s. I don't know if she even knows what a video game is. And, <laughs> you know, and, we walk in there. She, you know, she speaks primarily in Nupiak. So her gracious daughter um, helped translate when she was struggling with understanding some of the terms. And, you know, she, you know, we we're sitting in the apartment having tea and talking about it. And I was sharing some of the concept art with her. And, you know, she looked around the apartment. She had all these grandkids and great grandkids running around. <laughs> Some of them with even, you know, talking, you know, or texting on their iPhones and others, you know, running around um, playing little mobile game devices. Uh -huh. And she's like, well, of course you should use this story. How else are they going to hear it? You know, and it was really a blessing. And, you know, we we worked with her throughout the making of the game. So when we realized that that short story wasn't enough gameplay, we went back to her and we said, you know, we know there are other recurring themes in all Alaskan Native stories that we want to weave in, like the spirit helpers and transformation mm -hmm. and some of those really beautiful story components. And we asked her if it was okay if we expanded on the story. And she's like, well, duh. Well, she didn't say that, but basically, <laughs> the same, uh, you know, this is what all storytellers do is that they use the story to, you know, deliver a message and so they may use it a different cadence they may use a different tone they may weave in different words or emphasize different parts of the story so that that person who needs to hear that message connects with it and so we it was an amazing process because between Minnie Gray and Ishmael Hope we are able to bring the heart of so many recurring themes into this game and I think you saw it in some of the gameplay with the value of interdependence was the cornerstone of this game. Mm. Um, and that was actually a directive um, from Cook and the Tribal Council's board is that you need to make sure that you don't create this place where our kids are isolated playing this game, that they feel the interdependence with someone else, with their culture, with their values. And so interdependence became the cornerstone. And this story was a perfect way to do that. But we had to modify it a little bit. That's really interesting. So then the mechanics of the game there of you know, being able to switch back and forth or having that co-op play is, is then totally intentional and it was, important for the actual storytelling, too. It was. It was a critical piece of it. And it took a while to find those right, command, uh, you know, mechanics in the game and even mm -hmm. the characters. So, you know, there was a few decision points we had, girl or boy, because in Kanuk Sayuka, it was a, you know, a young man. And then mm -hmm. in the 
story, he didn't have a companion character, but mm. knew we had to incorporate one. So we looked at different things like a wolf or, um, you know, and rabbit and mm. a fox, obviously. <laughs> and we brought the decision back to the community of Barrow, Alaska. And honestly, it was a hard discussion, you know. Really? Yeah, because as game developers, you know, Sean Veshi, who was the lead, um, you know, on the game development team, you know, he had two young girls. He had worked on games like Laura Croft, right? And okay. so he wanted to have something with, that was positive that he did that he could share with his girls. And we knew that there was, you know, not very many super positive images of young women, much less Alaska Native right. young women. And video mm -hmm. games, you know, what we'd seen out there for Native Americans was appropriated, it was offensive, yes. or it just mm -hmm. wasn't authentic. Um, okay. So we went up to Barrow, and we talked to them about that. And, you know, at first, they're like, you know what, we really like it to be a young man, not because the story was a young man, but it was because our young men for Alaska Native people, they're falling between the cracks. You know, mm. you know, we have the lowest graduation rate in the Anchorage School District. We finally hit 50% graduation rate for uh, our entire Alaska Native population, and our young men are still graduating at a rate below that. Our young men below 21 are five times as likely to commit suicide. Wow. And this wow. is what our people know, and they're like, well, why wouldn't you show a man? I mean, why wouldn't you show a young boy succeeding? And so, you know, we really talked about it, and then we brought it back to the youth. We let them play the character as a girl, and what we found is that the boys didn't mind playing a girl, and it seemed like they are almost protective of the girl when they were playing the game, which is another value that we wanted everyone to embrace was, you know, working with each other and protecting each other. So, mm. in the end, the community got behind it, um, and they really like the way it came out, especially with the Fox character being a companion character. And we all know at the beginning that this Fox character, it's ambiguous. Who is this Fox? What's he doing? Yeah. You know, is it a guy or a girl? Um, and having that relationship helped solve some of those issues we initially came up against. Wow. That's, yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> There's nothing else to say, but that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, Ashley and I are texting back and forth right now about how much we love this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so just to throw that out there. Um, I guess another question that I have, and we, we've kind of addressed it a little bit, but I, I'd love to revisit it, is, you know, we're talking about how risky it is to... Yeah make a game, right? Um, but how it just seems like a really important way to tell this story um, and to to connect to the, the, the youth of your community, right? And to get them connected to this kind of storytelling. And so I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more to like, why is it that that games are a particularly helpful medium for this? And, and why why is it that, that the idea of, of a video game as a text is is the way to sort of enact this cultural pro project? You know, and I think what we realize it is the it is a new way to bring storytelling to a new mm. generation. And so 
you know, with my generation, it was my mom wondering why the heck is she always on the phone, you know, <laughs> talking to her friends. With me and my boys, it's why is he always playing the games? And mm-hmm. I, you know, me and my husband had a lot of hard discussions about that. And, you know, I have two young boys and my oldest actually went completely deaf from when he was four years old to about the time he was nine. Mm-hmm. And I saw him being isolated because of that. And then I saw him playing video games. And my experience growing up with video games is Atari. So there was no connection with anyone else other than hitting your brother while he was playing you. Um, <laughs> right. And so, but my husband said, you know, you got to let this go. You got to let this go. And we'd have a lot of conversations. And finally, he just brought me downstairs and he stood me behind my son while he was playing. And for a child who could not communicate, with other kids. He's like, look what he's doing on the side of Eve. Look what he's doing on, you know, Minecraft. He is communicating with other kids and he can't do that through other mediums. And so I know firsthand how the power of video games can connect people. And, you know, when we talked about it as a leadership group, we knew that we obviously weren't expert gamers, but that we had to listen to where our kids were at because we could put the message out there in all sorts of ways. We can print more books. We can, you know, put it on our internet site. We can bring elders, sit them in a room and have them tell the story, but they weren't going to be there. They were going to be out playing the games and what my board chair and her name's Claire Swan. And she's a Denina Atha Baskin who actually just turned 85. Um, what she said is, as a people, we have been innovating for eons, is that we could not have survived in a climate that was so harsh without being able to innovate and constantly improve so we can help the community survive. He's like, your job is to take our wisdom and bring it into the future with technology. And that's exactly what we're able to do with games. Wow. Yes, that's incredible. Innovation as survival oh my goodness my mind is blown right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so i guess i feel like my questions are so insufficient now (laughs) because i've I've learned so much Um, yes (laughs) (laughs) and i have a whole new perspective of video games myself Mm -hmm. um but just kind of thinking about it as a cultural tool and, and thinking about the context that, that I kind of was introduced to the game, I was wondering, did you ever anticipate uh, Never Alone making it to like a university or a K-12 classroom? Because um, I use it as an instructional tool. Mm-hmm. I, we really hoped for that. And in fact, um, we had a key supporter in a foundation called Rasmussen Foundation they gave us a program-related investment so that we could invest in this game. And one of the things they said is, yeah, we want you to make money, but don't leave your people behind. And so mm-hmm. one of the conditions they put on this PRI is that we actually write a curriculum that um, would complement the required Alaska Studies curriculum that the state of Alaska has. Um, and so... We knew going into the game that we, after the game was finished, we would be creating this curriculum, which was very, we didn't even know what that was going to look like. But what happened is 
the instant we launched it, we started getting calls from the university, from grade schools, from high schools, from middle schools saying, we're using this in, there, in the classroom. Is that okay? We're like, of course it is. <laughs> and so um, we actually were a little behind the ball because we, we weren't ready with the curriculum when we launched the game. Uh, but we did eventually write a curriculum that allowed to bring in our traditional values into the Alaska Studies curriculum. And so what's neat is it not only highlighted values like interdependence and cooperation, but it was pre-Western contact, which none of the Alaska Studies material ever really addressed. Um, And it's been amazing. We've made it available to all the schools across Alaska. We've had um, people ask for it internationally. I don't know if it aligns with what they need in their classroom, um, but I'm always happy to share it if you like. Oh, um, I would love that. I mean, I don't, <laughs> obviously I don't teach in Alaska or a specific culture, but I use it as a as an instructional tool for my ESL classroom for students who come from different cultures and feel like theirs are squandered in this Western um, context where they have to learn a different language and they have to assimilate rather than adapt in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and so I use it in that way, but I'm, I'm sure your materials are far superior than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I would definitely love to see how this works, um, how you envision this working in a classroom mm-hmm. and how I can adapt upon that. And yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I-, I would love to see those materials yeah <laughs> like like I say I I have a seven-year-old um mm-hmm. who I've played through the game with and you know who we've and we've talked um we've talked a lot about not only the game but other people's people's culture mm-hmm. um and um and I, I have been to Alaska so I have all of these pictures and I show her these pictures and she's like She's like, so wow, so when are you taking me? Um, <laughs> she doesn't do well on like three hour flights yet, so we're not ready for that. Um, but um, I, her, she goes to a, a charter school and, and we can go in and do um, six week units in the charter schools. Um, and like I said, I've, I've gone through this with her and I would love to be able to go in um, and teach a unit at her school. Um, on just this, I've, I've talked to her, I talked to her teacher this year about it, but we never kind of got an opportunity to, because she came in mid year. So she never got kind of settled enough to, to do that kind of thing. But I would love to see that because I would love to go in and teach a unit at her school Mm -hmm. Um, because the kids love games and they're so ready to hear about other cultures, um, at this point. And I think it's important to, um, to expose them to other people's cultures and to understand where they are and where we are mm-hmm. um, in terms of other people's cultures mm-hmm. um, and understanding and appreciating and respecting those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's so important to get them early yeah. um, with that because otherwise in, in many cases they're just lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I think actually the way the curriculum is written, it really highlights, you know, that value of sharing culture. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's something that's built off of the cultural insights, which, again, was an, an unanticipated benefit of weaving those into the game. Um, and I think what's really amazing is that it's something 
that can take in small chunks or you could take a, you know, a full classroom quarter and spread it out over the quarter with these various group exercises. But again, we geared it towards that connection with each other. Um, so it's exciting. Um, well, in thinking about that connection, and, and I often think about how culture and language are so intertwined, mm -hmm. um, what, was, what was the thought behind having English-only subtitles for the game? Um, well, we knew, we knew we wanted to hear, not only see our people reflected in the game, but we wanted to hear them. So we were going to hear them through the cultural insights. But when we saw the, the narrated story written down, um, that Ishmael worked out with the team, we, we knew we had to have an Anupiaq speaker um, bring that language to the screen. It's one of those things where, you know, we talk about um, ESL and stuff like that. For us, it's actually the opposite. You know, I think there's less than 4,500 fluent speakers of Inupiaq, and there are other languages like the EAC culture um, of Alaska where the language died and is now just being brought back in little bits and pieces is that yeah. we saw this as a way to inspire kids to say, maybe I should, should learn Inupiaq. And there are so many amazing tools out there, but again, they're on kind of old technologies. Like we have CDs with married with books and we actually have a Rosetta stone that you can buy through one of the foundations up here, um, but it's not compatible with my Mac, for example. And so <laughs> You know, there's ways that, that it's been out there, but, you know, kids look at that, you know, either on a shelf in the library or on their mom's computer, like, I'm not going to do that. But if they hear it and they see the power behind it, um, it might just inspire them to go learn it from one of their, you know, cousins or their aunts or one of their elders. Mm. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of at that mind blown stage too at yep. this point. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to say something more than wow, that's cool. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, so I, th I think we've kind of asked all the questions that we had framed out to ask. Um, so, and, and at the end of these um, interviews, when we talk to folks or these conversations, we, I always like to ask people, what didn't we ask you um, that you would like to share? What do we, what did we miss? What do you think is important for us to know? Yeah, I think the most important message, you know, there's two important messages. Number one, video games have the power to share and celebrate culture and to share important messages. And so there are a lot of really fun games out there that my kids play and I'm fine with them playing it now. Um, but I also want to see them connect to games that have something to celebrate. Um, and it's particularly meaningful for me to have them see their people on screen. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, from the Cook and the Tribal Council side, the most important message was we did this for our people. Everything we do when we have a business and money-making venture is to support the mission of Cook and the Tribal Council, which is really to work in partnership with our people to develop opportunities that fulfill our endless potential. And so that is always at the heart of what we do. And when we make decisions about how we invest our resources, we align it with our 
values and our vision. And this really hit that sweet spot for us. Wow. Wow. I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's next? I was just going to ask that. <laughs> what is next? I need more. <laughs> I am very excited. I don't know if you guys have heard the news, but I believe it's June 26th or maybe it's 23rd. The mobile version of Never Alone is being launched. Um, and the controls on like a tablet are awesome. I tested it and you know I like the Xbox controller more than I like my keyboard Um, and I was a little worried how it would translate to the tablet but it's going to be phenomenal and so that's next we are certainly looking at other opportunities where we can extend um, you know never alone Um, but we're really excited we have a slate of about five games that we're currently considering um, being our next game Um, and we anticipate probably in the next 18 months that we'll have another game out there. It may not be in the same look and feel of Never Alone, probably not based on the Nupiak people, but it is going to be something that uses the power of games. That is such awesome. exciting news. I know. Yay. <laughs> and, and I love that it's, I love that it's coming, um, uh, that it's yes. coming to mobile devices because that's yes. going to make it so much more accessible. Yes. For, especially to, to, to teach and to have yeah. students play. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Yay. That's amazing. Yes. Well, Amy, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, happy yes. to do it. Um, we were super excited to have you. And, and I think the, our conversation tonight has kind of exceeded all expectations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for the opportunity to connect with you guys. Thank you very much for coming on tonight. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And um, as we see new things come out, we may reach out to you again and say, hey, <laughs> would you like to come back and talk to us about this project? Yep. Certainly, certainly. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us tonight. All right. Thanks. Have a great evening. You too. All righty. Good night. Good night. night. And with that, that brings us to the end of episode 128. And until next time, when we record episode 129, we would like to say... Stay cool, stay dry, stay connected. Mm -hmm. And as always, my friends, game on. Game on. Yeah.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.